episode 46 of Rumor Requirement. Uh, we are a podcast dedicated to reason and resilience in the time of Trump. Uh, I'm Miracle Jones, and with me as always, I still have a line. It's it, Kamala Trout. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, we, we're, we're getting good at this. 46 episodes in, and we can people, almost get through yeah, it. Yeah, people need this. They need, like, regularity. Uh, so, how, how you been? Like, how's... How yeah, you... uh, we like to start every podcast talking about how we've been, at least for the time being. We may change this format a little. Yeah. Uh, just to check in with each other and also acknowledge the fact that we are just amateur shit talkers. And We're just people like you. You're right, exactly. <laughs> and any analysis forthcoming is basically based on our mood. Um, how am I? I'm actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think things are going pretty well. It's like allergy season again for some reason. Did you, were you feeling it this weekend? Yeah. Like, I, I had a bad this weekend too, actually. I never get it. Yeah. It's just like, I was yeah, like, I had pretty bad allergies. Actually, this week and today in particular... Um, oh, I forgot to tell you this. Uh, I went on a yoga retreat this weekend. Did I tell you this? <laughs> you did not. Oh, yeah. You did not because you didn't want me to mock you. But I, know, I mean, I have, I have no shame about those kind of things. I'm not like All embarrassed. Right, well, well, tell me what happened. So, Angela, Angela, my wife, regularly goes uh, to yoga. She's a professional yoga student. Okay. That's what we decide. Yeah, that's begin- Zen mind is beginner's mind. Right, exactly. So yeah. she's a professional yoga student. So uh, two of the instructors that she really liked, we're headed a uh, headed a yoga retreat uh, in the upstate around Hudson. Okay. So it was. So that's why you up there. I knew you were going. Yeah. Here. I didn't so, know the way. Okay. So we went out there. We made it sort of a weekend of it. We headed out early. Uh, we spent a day and a half in Hudson, and then we went to this yoga retreat, and it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Uh, yoga is. It's. Uh, I do yoga. I, I want to do more yoga because yeah. I think I want to be more flexible and it's straight. Really, it's really hard. Like the one time I did it, it was fucking shocked like how much of a workout it was yeah like, it can be and yeah. i you know angela's really good at it she's definitely like improved her flexibility and i need to get back into it because i sit all day like it's just not good for me uh this was not an intense like two-day yoga workshop this was a lot like empowerment camp with some oh, no. with with yoga and i was like i was the only hetero guy there yeah and i felt like i was killing the vibe <laughs> just bringing everybody down yeah, yeah i just felt like i was killing the vibe and i'm like i gotta go i'm just gonna go for a run you guys do it and like it was a combination of i felt like i was killing the vibe i'm also just not a person who likes to participate in a lot of like journaling yeah. or uh writing or letting go of things like yeah. all, all that, that that stuff well you have a feeling you just punch the wall like a man right right <laughs> right or like you know repress it yeah just hold it down yeah obviously yeah um <laughs> i'm uncomfortable talking about this much of feeling no i yeah. I, I don't know so, it's just not so i, I don't like the sherry's info and i was like i couldn't sleep there because like the we didn't it was like the sun came up really early and we didn't have curtains or something like this so i was yeah. like i was just miserable the whole weekend and literally uh uh, as soon as we left, like that afternoon, we spent like the half afternoon in Hudson. I was like super happy again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so what? So, so we we doing yoga very much? Or yeah, we, we did like we did a lot of yoga actually. Okay. That was kind of the best part of it. You yeah, wake yeah. up, you do it at seven. Yeah, uh, you did a little bit of meditation. I like the meditation. Right. Um, I just yeah, it was probably not the ideal again. But again, as I explained to my coworkers, the most important thing. My wife had fun. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. is that was the key. I don't think it was my ideal weekend, but uh, uh, my wife had fun, so that was. Do good. you do yoga together often? Is this like a thing I can imagine you guys doing? Well, <laughs> she's much better at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> she's much better at it than I. Like the alarm goes off, you guys wake up and start doing yoga together. <laughs> no, no, we did not do that. <laughs> um, we take different classes, and once I think uh, at once she like 
we took a class and she was side by side with me and, and afterwards she like pointed out something I did wrong and I took and like I mean we've been married for years so like it just went it just went way south yeah. and I was like oh we need to back this up so I don't think since we've taken a class together side by side we can take classes together but we kind of have to have to be out of her eye line eye, <laughs> eyesight oh. in the back yeah exactly, exactly. I, I can do child's pose yeah <laughs> uh, I, I do like yoga I do I just there's always this thing about yoga that is always Hinduism light and right. I went to a, like I went to Hindu camp and so like a lot of this is reminiscent and I'm like I know how to do this stuff because I did it since I was a kid but I don't like it yeah and so <laughs> I, I want to break from it um, and at some point some woman had like a a necklace in in Devanagari or Sanskrit or Hindi, and it was spelled wrong, and I was like, I, I as gently as Better I than could a tattoo, right? Right, <laughs> as gently as I could, I was like, I think that's spelled wrong, and she was like, Oh no, I think it just spelled right, and I was right. like, Yeah, okay. empowerment. Yeah, I guess it, it, just, it, it means what I think it means. I was like, I'm like, I do you uh, uh, that that is the kind of that. <laughs> That is like <laughs> white cultural right? privilege, right? That is yeah. white cultural privilege. Oh, or now you're on board. Now you're on board the, the uh, intersectionality debate. <laughs> right? You don't get, like, that is white cultural privilege. Like, yeah. these letters can yes. mean whatever yes, I want. It because it's not like it's sacred to your people yeah, or anything. It's fucked up. So, yeah. So, that was my weekend. I, I, uh, I went out to, and I did, an, I did the exact opposite of what you think you get out of a yoga retreat. I was grumpy. And you did a lot of running. I did a lot of running um, and malnourished. So yeah, that was my weekend. How was how was yours, man? Not bad. I mean, I'm just I I'm in, I'm I was sneezing, but it was really nice. We, the weather is really nice. Yeah. Like New York makes fucking sense now. And yeah. Just like walking around and saying hello to everybody. You know, our neighborhoods all like popping now. Yeah. Like, it's just full. I guess it's like Ramadan, but it's full. It is Ramadan. It's yeah. It's full of people all the time. Like our the the, the park is happening, right? It looks right. kind of nice, right? Right, like, right. Diversity Plaza. Diversity Plaza is about to open up. We got trees. Mm. Although um, my wife has a theory that the because the there's a local plaza and they repaved it and they planted trees and it looks really nice. And my yeah. wife's whole thing is the gates are still up and she says that's the only way you can keep it clean. They're is to never make sure gonna open it. They're <laughs> never going to open always it. Always going to be this thing. That They're just the, it's like this beautiful like Sacred little pavilion. Space. Right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I did want to share like an anecdote, like a PSA. Sure. Before we get started, mm -hmm. uh, a friend of a friend who will remain nameless was uh, uh, worried. They saw an ice checkpoint in Queens. Oh. And they were worried, like their uh, their uh, uh, resident status is uh, debatable. Mm -hmm. Not they're not a illegal immigrant, but. You know, they're whatever. Like, in that gray area. Yeah, they're in that gray area. So they were in their car. They saw this ice checkpoint mm -hmm. uh, up ahead, right? Uh, and they were just, like, scanning everybody. And they were like, what the fuck do I do? So, they, you know, they called a friend, mm -hmm. a different friend of a friend who's an immigration lawyer. Mm -hmm. And they asked him what to do. And they, they said, call the cops on him. So uh, they did. They called the cops. The cops showed up, the NYPD. Oh, on yeah? this ice checkpoint and they chased them away really yeah so this is a PSA like and I was like we should fucking do that all the time <laughs> yeah everybody should do that in America all the time if you see ice anywhere well it depends on if your local cops are cooperative or anything either way just like tangle them up like if you raise the cost of like doing of like uh, I'm sorry the ice agents weren't allowed it was like an yeah, illegal checkpoint like, I, I mean it's not I mean it's debatable I'm sure it will eventually make it to the Supreme Court like what ice's actual jurisdiction is yeah but the, the it, in, at least in New York for now 
the NYPD has your back and will just tell them to leave. They'll tell them to get the fuck out of okay. here. Okay, all right. Which that's is kind excellent. of amazing, right? Like, yeah. And I, I'm sure that's true for a lot of cities. And right? But I think, yeah, raising the cost, making it, making them a little bit afraid to do whatever they do, wherever they do it, I think is a, is a good idea. So yeah. anytime you see ICE doing what they're doing, just call the cops on them, whether you all think right. they're going to do anything or not, you know? All right. So okay. PSA, call PSA. the cops on ICE. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about politics? Like, yeah, let's talk about politics. Yeah. So, uh, big week, most most historic week of our life. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, I'm trying to think of like a title for this week's podcast. I'm trying to think. Uh, what's the opposite of summit? <laughs> nadir, right? Nadir, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. is there like summit tree? Is there nadir tree? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> like engaging in what is basically a collective low. Of everybody like wallowing in this nadir. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there were back to back summits. Uh, both of yeah. them were shoddy and sad. Is it a summit if it happens like every year, though? Like the G7, you know? It's I guess like, it's not really a summit. It's not yeah. technically a summit, but it's a gathering, yeah, right? It's a camp. <laughs> um, so, camp. Um, so I think it's worth it to kind of review some of the facts yeah. of the G7. Uh, it's uh, I guess there's sort of one photo floating around that shows Donald Trump sitting in opposition and being somewhat harangued by the world leaders. Apparently it wasn't quite accurate. Like there's oh. plenty of other shots of him like... Uh, of him like being chummy and, and yeah. you know fraternal and whatnot, but that's not the photo that made it around the world. So there are, but I guess in the end, it's not clear what exactly happened because the U.S. refused to sign the the pledge of of cooperation or whatever yeah. comes out of these G7 meetings. You know, that's the sixty five percent of the wealth is represented at the G seven and they figure out what the hell they're gonna do for the year, right? Yeah, I mean it's not a bad idea to have those leaders in in, yeah. in some sort of talking regular conferences, right? Yeah. As well as the bureaucracy underneath them. What I think is difficult is the idea that going into the summit, Trump had raised the stakes by raising tariffs yeah. on allies, uh, and I think that's just while kind of leading or how with an eye towards North Korea, which yeah. so he wanted to talk tough to the G seven and then go in and then and then I guess I don't know have this great resolution. Something I, something I didn't see any reporting on was I'm curious what Italy's thoughts were with respect to Trump at the G seven. Well, they're they're in a little bit of a scrambled yeah, government, they have right. a brand new government, right? And it's very hard on immigrants and it's kind of Trumpist and it's like union of the left and right, right. I, and I'm sure a suspicion of France and Canada and the liberal war, world order generally. You think Italy's swinging to the right? I don't know. I'm sure, I, I think like... I mean, they would have something, not necessarily the right. I think the right and left don't make sense, but they're sort of coming in a little bit of a moment of, of, of brain meld with the Trump administration. Yeah, they're moving from blue to orange, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm curious like if, if there were any like, you know, back backdoor meetings with with Italy like little sidebars if, if, there if, could have been right if, if they're I guess they're the weak point in, in Europe if you're a Trumpist right now is like attempting to get Italy oh, yeah, in terms side. of like making a beachhead yeah in, ter in terms of like securing votes you know you get like Poland yeah yeah to the east well then Poland's not in the G7 right so, right that's interesting yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so so you've got like uh yeah so I'm, I'm curious if they if, you know that's why he wants Russia and he's just trying to get like a a, a nice quorum in order to split things, you know, and then you've got everybody on one side of the Right, I guess there would be, he thinks that the the anti-Europe yeah. mindset will last forever. Yeah, because eventually, you know, Ma Ma Theresa May is a, a, a 
Remainer, who's in the position of negotiating Brexit, but eventually it's conceivable that England would get somebody in power who's a Eurosceptic as well. And uh, I mean, I, th- I think so far that they have a reason. I mean, there's no way the Tory government is not a Eurosceptic. Right, government. but I mean, Theresa May herself personally is probably like not uh, a, a Trumpist, right? She's just not going to get along with them. Yeah, I think they don't get along. Yeah, but yeah. I could see somebody in power who would, you know. Boris like, Johnson. Yeah, Boris Johnson, or even Corbyn. I think I think that, I mean, he would not want to appear that way, but yeah, I could see him, like, in They are, I mean, I think they are the reflections of each other. Yeah. They make it along pretty well. But yeah, okay, so this, this summitry and, uh, went poorly. I, you know, we're, we're seated leadership of the free world we're no longer the leader of the free world and now we're like third in charge of the shit world <laughs> and I, yeah i, mean, I think it's was... i think it's way overstating things <laughs> but i think the idea is that trump is really putting his brand he really put his brand on foreign policy and it's generally been bad and i i i want to bring up i was thinking about this because uh, many, many episodes ago, we had a friend on, Eric, who's yeah. a Trump supporter, and one of his contentions was, because Trump is a businessman, he would be loathe to micromanage, actually. Yeah. He would want to delegate as much as possible, so he would have people in his cabinet making decisions that he would just delegate to them. And one of the clear examples of this was actually military strategy, right? So he would allow uh, the Secretary of Defense... Jim Mattis to make decisions, as opposed to Barack Obama, who was famously micromanaging and wanted certain decisions to be, you know, streamed upwards. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like, for some reason, Trump has gotten a lot of confidence in the past two to three months, and it's just been for the worse, because now he has become campaign Trump. Like, he's like, oh, I'm going to be, what got me here was campaign Trump, and I'm going to be as campaign Trump as possible, and he's no longer able or I guess the Republican Party is no longer willing or able to rein him in so that he can't even be grounded by reasonable, sane policy. So, uh, true, I think Trump has shown his penchant for micromanagement and wanting to put every his stamp on everything, and it's much to the detriment of at least foreign policy and probably domestic policy as well. Right, yeah. And this causes every liberal to clutch its their pearls, right? They're like, how dare he... Um, how dare he think about it? And I think there's something in the liberal commentary that is uh, tends to be a little conservative, like there's a liberal world order, we should absolutely hold on to it. They're not willing to acknowledge that maybe the liberal world order that we inherited um, or from Barack Obama or whatever he put right, quote-unquote, uh, we may have been flawed. We should rebrand it just as like Eisenhower's liberal world order. <laughs> Every time you say it. Like. But one of the things I think is really interesting is how... Um, how in some ways this is a weird split between Democrats and Republicans and a weird coming together of minds because I guess we're sort of bleeding both uh, the G7 summit and and the North Korean summit but one of the really interesting things was that that became very clear is that it is easy to sell Democrats the promise of peace like they were willing to make concessions yeah, yeah. Yeah. genuine concessions and it's very hard because I think Republicans let's pretend they have like a Hobbesian worldview of politics right. they're much more cynical so if you're trying to sell peace over North Korea to Democrats who hate you yeah. you've lost your natural constituency yeah. and the Republicans are like no we believe in a Hobbesian world order why are we trusting you yeah. um, so in some ways I think the North Korean summit has been seen except for some very kind of weird pockets as being sort of a a weird bill of concessions to someone who is unreliable and that i think is 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 interesting because the democrats who naturally would be fond of peace just don't like trump enough to be like i don't care i think this is a bad idea 
and the Republicans whose natural worldview is somewhat cynical to these processes. Well, also, it's like, it's not so much peace as, like, good news, everybody, I'm not starting a war for no reason. Like, that, it's kind of a, you know, it, it's, he's, he created a problem that he's then providing the solution right. to. Right. I think this is one of the, and you'll see people that I really like, like, uh, even Nate Silver will say something like this, like, he's, there's a success here, but I also think that part of the success is that he's walked away from a situation that he in part created yeah no one's i don't think barack obama or bush or clinton had great solutions to north korea it's been a long-standing popular uh, problem uh that's been a real thorn in the side of many many american presidents yeah i mean north korea is terrifying to south korea and to a lesser extent japan but they don't have planes there that they can Kim Jong-un had to borrow a plane from China to get to Singapore. I they aren't a terrifying military power. Uh, it is a bit oversold. Like, Yeah, I, I still think he played down the tail risk. Because, I mean, there is a very real possibility he decides to... Well, they're an unstable country, right. and we've just with, given with the nuclear... unstable leader more power over his own country. So what the fuck good is that? Like, yeah. what, I mean, we've that. I, I don't think that was... It has in any way made us more made us more secure, made South Korea more secure, or made Japan more secure. Yeah, I mean, I, and on the face of it, I think this is generally I, uh, what the thrust <coughs> of a lot of commentary which goes is that the U.S. gave up a lot yeah. in the sense that they gave up concessions. They are starting to talk away, even the language Trump is using. He's talking about the provocation of joint military exercise, which yeah. in general is seen as defensive. Um, I don't know. So he's he started. He's really has this weird sympathy for, for the tiny teapot. <laughs> if dictator. I were, yeah. yeah, it's it's a very weird space to be. And I, uh, I don't know. I I always try to play many sides because I think foreign policy is really nuanced. Yeah. But in this case, and I we called this a couple of podcasts ago, what the U.S. wanted was a photo op, and mm-hmm. they were willing to make concessions for that, and that's largely what happened now. We'll see if they're able to. I mean, the Senate seems to be pushing back against I don't know this. if they're going to. Uh, so they weren't able to push back on tariffs either. So Right. But, I mean, this is kind of a big... Moving, removing troops from South Korea is a bigger deal than right. the trade war. That's... Uh, but I think the South Korean left is actually looking for... Uh, there's a the significant... Uh, faction of South Korean politics... That do, I think it has more to do with Japan. Like, the, they, you know, we have force them not to have uh, military as the you know by writing their constitution for them and making that a uh, part of it right, right. And now we're uh, abdicating def- their defense i mean either something's got to get you give. think that's that you, th- you think well i mean japan could offer to house us troops they I could think. i mean we could that right. there's enough tension on okinawa yeah, i think yeah yeah the, i mean i'm sure maybe that's what they're talking about maybe that's a, there's well, a backup plan yeah uh the uh, if I were Kim Jong-un, what I would do this week on my princess phone, twirling the cord around, talking to Putin, right. uh, I would announce a summit meeting with Iran. Because <laughs> 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 like, what the fuck, right? Like, yeah. What do you have to lose? That would be the most delightful fuck you, right? Like, yeah. Now it's time to like share what we've learned, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I think of this, uh, well, maybe not a summit, but I... One of the kind of clear implications in the path forward is that there's no reason for any sort of tin pot uh, dictatorship not to go for a nuclear weapon, right? Like mm-hmm. Because if you look at what possible things the Kim regime could have gotten out of building a nuclear weapon, it would be removal of troops, yeah. uh, cessation of joint exercises, 
some sort of security guarantee, and then everybody's shutting the fuck up about human rights just forever for some reason. I yeah. want a horrible prison state yeah. where people are condemned for generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and can't leave. <laughs> yeah, this at is... least Cuba, like you could leave any time. Every two or three years, uh, <laughs> as soon as you got something that was floating, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There, there's at least a boat lift. Yeah. It's a kind of appalling, and I, the right, I think, makes an argument that well, uh, you know, we, the, uh, the Obama administration was willing to make concessions with a regime that was certainly very an ugly regime, Iran. Um, same thing with Cuba to some degree, um, and the argument, the counter argument, is that you know these regimes actually didn't have nuclear weapons. We should sit down and and have talks with people with nuclear weapons. But I think that's just an incentive for every two-bit country to get nuclear weapons so they all of a sudden think they're on the same playing field with the U.S. and they can demand absolute concessions. Yeah. Um, I just think that's appalling. I also think that there's a larger strategic goal um, with in, with Iran, no matter how bad the thinking was or how good the thinking was. Also with Cuba, there was, there was, a, there was an argument of why you wanted to try to open up those countries because the idea was that you would actually empower the moderates mm-hmm. and that was actually the thinking of Obama I think that was hopelessly to North Korea. Yeah, the, yeah, I think that was hopelessly naive on the part of the Obama administration but there was a push towards by doing this we were able to empower moderates. Um, there's no a moderate. You're only empowering Kim and this. Yeah, so what do you think is going to come of this? I think let a thousand nuclear flowers <laughs> blow. Yeah. Yeah. I really do. I think it's going to yeah. be far worse. We've empowered a uh, we've set a precedent, and there, it's a weird way. And you know, this is a counter precedent. The the children's bedtime story that was told to all dictators was: the minute you give up weapons of mass destruction, uh, you are overthrown. Right. Mm-hmm. So this happens in Libya. This happens in Iraq. Um, and in some ways, this is this is the backdrop to Iran. Um, and so the reason that you are allowed to negotiate one-on-one with the U.S. is because you have a nuclear weapon. I think every single dictator is now going to be shopping around in weird markets that just happen to have a lot of North Koreans. Yeah, I mean... They're operating weird backstalls. What immediately goes to my mind is, like, nuclear Africa, question mark, question mark, question oh, yeah. mark. Oh, Middle East. I, I, yeah. I, 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 everyone's turned on. Saudi Arabia now has nuclear. Yeah. Oman probably is, is, is thinking about a nuclear weapon. Uh, certainly parts of... Uh, Bahrain, yeah. yeah. Nuclear Middle East, nuclear um, parts of Africa for sure. Maybe even even Central, like Sub Saharan Africa. Yeah, that's what I'm, you know. Yeah, like Benin. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I think, uh, I think that's a real disaster for geopolitics. Yeah, it, I think you're right. Um, and, you know, the, the country that can sell it to them that's going to have, a, you know, ambassadors, you know, telling them how it's done is going to be North Korea. Yeah, uh, yeah, and where. There is a strong criminal grip within any single like diplomatic functionary yeah. part of the government. They will sell you drugs. They will sell you <laughs> nuclear weapons. It's just awful. Yeah. Prison state. Advisors. Come it's on just it. the worst country. It is, and I, I don't know why we decided to do anything about that. But anyway, I also want to think about, well, I wanted to say that, you know, there was a lot of pressure put on by the, by the government, like, there's an interesting switch here where I think there's something about Trump's personality that made him particularly effective in trying to put pressure on North Korea because he was able to ratchet up tra- tension. But the moment, but his he also screwed it up in the last second because 
North Korea, you know, they did a maximum pressure campaign. They had they ratcheted up pressure on China, uh, huge sanctions, all sorts of issues, and. In the middle of all of that, somewhere around November, October, basically their major launch site, launch their major launch missile site collapsed, and it is that moment where North Korea is like, "Oh, we have to make concessions." And if you believed in the art of the deal, you would have been like, "Oh, now I have you, right? I am going to take, I am going to drag you through whatever minefield I can in order to grab concessions because they had it and." For some reason, there's something. That wasn't the actual plan. The actual plan is to make them scary and then do a, you know, a, a very soft deal that everybody wins. Right? Yeah, oh, I just think I, I mean, yeah. So a good deal, the Trump administration, whatever factions, whatever were at play, had done a good deal of bringing North Korea to its heel, and they actually had a moment mm-hmm. in the uh, at the end of last year where they really had a vulnerable North Korea that they could have made, they could have done a lot with. And uh, the Russian was fired for his, for his competence. If he had actually been able to solve this, and he 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 being Trump and also Mattis and all of them had pushed things, had ratcheted tra- the tension enough, uh, they could have actually come up with something better for sure. Do you think it's possible that North Korea opens up and South Korea begins? A soft power offensive that leads to some sort of soft reunification, right? Um, I certainly hope so. I don't know how that happens outside of a war. Mm-hmm. I, so, I hope there's like a soft, uh, you know, something, something reunification, yeah. Germany scenario. I think the problem is that, so with what happened with East Germany and West Germany is that the great patron of East Germany had sort of started to implode. Yeah. And if anything, the patron of North Korea is on the rise. Yeah. And so that that's that's it's why the patron of South Korea that seems to be imploding. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean yeah, so exactly. If South Korea is gonna if it's not Japan, right, whom they have a rivalry right. with, um, then who is it? And if it's the US then think apparently we hate South Korea for some reason. Trump hates South Korea <laughs> and I've never understood this either, but I don't know. He doesn't like spending money there to yeah. defend it or something. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's a waste of money, apparently. Yeah, so so we opened an embassy in an all-but name in Taiwan the same day as the summit. Oh, really? Did I did not that? know that. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm, curious. That, yeah. I'm curious what, what that's going to mean. Uh, if Tsai Ing-wen uh, declares independence as a result of, like, fear... Yeah. Then China invades as a result of being China. Yeah. And then, do we defend Taiwan? Oh God, no! We're not going to defend Taiwan. We don't defend Taiwan. There's no way. I can't believe right. anyone seriously thinks about that. Yeah. Hong Kong goes first, then Taiwan. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, what incentive does China have not to try to push for Taiwan to declare independence? Uh, I, I mean, I think it's going to be a bloody war and. China has not fought against another country since like 1965, where they won some sad group of mountains in the Himalayas against India. I think that's the last foreign war they fought. Yeah. And so two third world countries fighting against <laughs> each other. It's very different. The mis- uh, you know, Taiwan has uh, formidable missile defense. Yeah. It will cost a lot in terms of people and. Um, I think. What about I, just a blockade? A blockade and a yeah, that's much more effective. I think they could they could starve out. Um, I think they could starve out or blockade Taiwan. That's for sure. I think there's such ramifications in terms of 
what would happen to the global economy, especially things like technology sector, that uh, there would be a lot of pressure immediately to end that blockade. I think that's a complicated set of economics. It's not like shutting down Cuba. It's and Taiwan and China are, in some ways, the oil and the electricity of of the modern technology economy. So uh, people will be very sensitive to those kind of moves. But uh, I, I think I made this joke on this podcast. I 100% want my wife's in-law, my my wife's parents, to have a backup plan because yeah. I don't. I have, in my mind, things. There's a high likelihood that things go south in the next 15 years. Well, that's terrifying. Um, yeah. yeah, I may agree with you, but yeah, yeah. So, do you think the summit was? Did it? Did it? Did it do? And did it work at all? Like the image that we're going to carry away from the summit, as I was telling you before the podcast started, is Dennis Rodman crying. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. That that is the ultimate encapsulation of the week, right? Like it was pretty amazing that that happened, right? Because it was just like it's one hundred percent right. Like this is it, right? Yeah. This is- this is the dumbass world we live in. Yeah, but so was did it did it work at all? Do you think there was an audience for this? That it... yeah, I think at this point there will be that you can yeah. make an argument that hey, Trump brought peace to this process, right? Mm. I I find that argument very very hard to follow. Um, although I think there are some people relatively respectable who who think this, but. Yeah, I, I, I think that you could say that for right now, they've ratcheted down tensions. I think that's unequivocal, yes. Right. Tensions have definitely ratcheted down. They've ratcheted down ever since there was a promise of a summit. But the summit is such a personality and uh, personality and kind of um, a per, uh, uh, like one-on-one kind of agreement. Yeah. It reminded me of like internet dating, right? Like yeah. Everybody was real pumped about it, right? Like, oh, yeah, and then they showed up, and it's like these two guys, <laughs> you know, they saw each other. It's like, oh no, we're both like, yeah, very unattractive, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're um, not who I thought you were. You're not who I thought you were either. We gotta make a deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think the the idea is that. The summit itself was probably a success insofar as any summit is a success, which they usually aren't. What mm-hmm. matters is whether or not the bureaucracies can kind of fill in the day-to-day negotiations that make a peace a long-lasting effort. And I think Trump personally has no uh, involvement in that or has no incentive to do that. He's just not someone who can build or incentivize a bureaucracy to do that on his end. And I think the bureaucracy, the American bureaucracy, the diplomatic bureaucracy is afraid to try to take some small initiatives that most diplomatic bureaucracies would do because they would be likely to be countermanded by a very erratic person at the top of the chain, right? Like, I think that's what it makes of it. The bureaucracy is, hard, is very reluctant to act because Trump is, wants his stamp on everything, and I think uh, that's it's very hard. I think even the summit was Trump seeing that there was a certain amount of initiative building his way uh, for a summit, and he wanted to be the person there as yeah, opposed to Tillerson or something right. else. It's really, it's really too bad because I think he kind of stepped on it. Like, I yeah, feel like I think it could have been uh, something that actually made. Oh, I, I definitely good. think Trump snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory. Yeah, very impressive. Like, yeah, it was, it was, it was. I, I know he was looking forward to it. You know? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> it's just, I, I think, it, yeah, it's a. I was, I was thinking, you know, when it was when it was announced, like when it was back on, it was like, oh man, it's gonna, he's gonna go up seven points, like. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know if it's going to do anything. For well, it. one of the things I think is that the that there is a narrative, and I, if there's a dominant narrative, is that like we don't think this is a great deal. Yeah, we can wait is, and see. I, I mean, the most right. like the most like kind of cautious like 
Uh, I, I, well, let's see. And I think that's a smart decision, right? Like, the American public, I think in general, is like, at best, being like, I don't know if I trust North Korea. And yeah. they shouldn't. And they definitely don't trust Trump. You know? And, and because of that, it reflects yeah. poorly on Trump. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, there are people, who, uh, certainly the Trumpistas are going to say some one thing. There's some yeah. people in the moderate wings that are saying uh, like, similar things. But. I kind of, I'm kind of sanguine about it for that reason because the, you know, my fear was it was going to legitimize the North Korean regime, right? Yeah. I think we might look back on this and be when you know play that video of Dennis Rodman crying and, and say this was maybe the moment when it delegitimize the Trump regime <laughs> to have him like his I, only friend is the only person he can get along with is like North Korea we're in real trouble right right so uh, you know I, I think as leftists we have to be kind of aware of the fact that every every faux pas every right. like stumble is gonna look yeah, we, we tend to read into the, okay, this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. Um, at some point, we may actually be right. Yeah. Like, But um, I think the one thing is that Trump has weirdly, and I said this before, become more confident of who he is. Yeah. And and, and who he is is the, the campaigning Trump, and I think uh, Sora Bomari, actually from commentary, called it the jackass Trump. Yeah. That's, the, that's, that's who he wants to be. He wants to be jackass Trump. And... For that reason alone, I think he's going to expose himself more and more as being this kind of weird, incompetent, rude jackass that people are genuinely not happy with. Yeah. And, as, and you know, in the 18 months before this, you had a lot of the Republican establishment on board with trying to rein him in. But I don't think the trade war plays out particularly well. I think it's because, again, he's playing out a set of politics that play well with, say, the leftist crowd that hates him, yeah. right? Like, you can you can say, like, steel workers, and, you know, the left would be like, yes, of course, steel workers. <laughs> but that's just not the politics anymore. He's alienated the left, and instead he's trying to play to a conservative liberal base, which is tiny, Yeah. right? Like a conservative status. Archie so, bunker. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his approval rating was going up because he was hiding. And, yeah, I and think the so. The more we see him, the more it's like, oh yeah, still not sexy. Still, yeah. still don't like you, dude. Like, yeah, we <laughs> talked a little bit about this I think, yeah. in the last podcast, but actually, the the generic ballot has come back and oh, widened. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, we're seeing you again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck this guy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I say this a lot about the administration. Like the the saving grace was they were actually somehow prevented from actually feeling or. Uh, experiencing the ramifications of their terrible policy ideas as yeah. well. You know, this happens in trade. This happens certainly with immigration. I think you're getting more and more stories about how cruel this really Trumpista kind of immigration policy, even on the margins, can be. So I think they've been saved from their own terrible policy instincts up until now. And I think this is coming to an end. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. We've been wrong before. So. Yeah, but we've also been right before. That yes, that little, is true. I think I think I, I think we called what was going to happen with the summit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you you had an outside the bubble you wanted? To talk yeah, I had about, a couple. Right? So, uh, one I I've talked a lot about this podcast and maybe in the past couple of podcasts. So I want to lead with uh, talking about Fortress on a Hill. Yeah. Uh, so this is a this is a very interesting podcast. I don't remember exactly how I discovered it, but I think it was just trolling through Twitter. But so it is run by uh, a couple of guys. They're vets, uh, and they are I think in the middle of the country somewhere, and they are uh, just an interesting voice and I think yeah, it's yeah. outside the bubble not because they aren't left leaning I think of I think of them I think as, they're more left leaning than we are yeah. yeah they are definitely more <laughs> left leaning than we are but I think they also have like uh, the equivalent but I think in the sense that that kind of proud tradition of work like mm -hmm. looking out for the little guy and yeah, actually being yeah. really angry about certain things and very charged up about like how does 
the military screw over the little guy, the regular, like, working, like, grunter, the GI. Like, the military is a big bureaucracy that tends to be insensitive and, and callous and, and things like that. And I think their viewpoints is just very different from ours, right? So yeah. I can think of the number of people I went to high school with or friends of mine who were in the military. Um, I can probably count them on, on one hand. Um, and that's just, it's just not my experience because I didn't go into the military, but it is, it is an experience that has, um, really captured a generation of young men and women, right? Because we've been in war for 17 years. It's more than a generation. So we've sent a lot of our, our kids out to the killing fields, right? And they've come back. Without a draft, you know, so it's people that need need the money. Yeah. And this is their only route to college. Yeah. And so it's that grind. And so there's a, a certain amount of, uh, there's there's an anger about what that is. I think there's an anger about how uh, the military has has treated them to some degree, and I I think they're both proud to have served. Yeah. Uh, but they also I think what really rankles them is when the people are greet, greet them as heroes, but don't actually follow up with anything. Right. Right. They don't Consider actually necessarily what they've been doing. Right. They don't they don't necessarily stump up for uh, treatment yeah. of veterans or. Um, PTSD uh, uh, solutions and things like that. Solutions I've, often, I've often thought, you know, like how veterans treat each other is how we should treat each other. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, we should all consider ourselves, you know, connected in the same way. Right. right. We, we haven't been through a similar experience, but I was listening to the podcast where you know, they were talking about how to get benefits from yeah. the, you know, all they have to go through. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. You know, one was telling the other, like how, you know, he needs to like, get that done sooner, you know, and it's just like, yeah. Yeah, and so to, you've, you've started to listen. What do you yeah. think of the podcast? I, I, think, it's, I think it's great. I mean, it's, really, it's definitely it's really outside our bubble, me. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, even though it may actually be to the left of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, everyone doesn't do it. It's it's uh, Fortress on a Hill. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a it's a great, interesting podcast. They have they're, they're earnest and they're taking things on that right. I wish everybody was taking on. Yeah, and there's and they're very, I think, strongly anti-interventionist yeah, in a way yeah, that yeah. I think is you know that is sort of a leftist tradition, yeah. and and because they have had to. See people, right? And that that should be the bear the consequences. It should be the referees in the military being like, no, it's so. Yeah, I'm glad you like that because I I brought it up a couple of times. Yeah, no, no, they may continue to listen. So yeah, check out Fortress on a Hill. Um, Do you want to? You just want to talk about Susan Wright? Yeah, I want to talk about Susan Wright uh, or uh, Sweetie Walker, as she's known on uh, on on Twitter. So uh, Susan Wright is uh, someone I've actually really enjoyed over the past year discovering. She's very conservative. She's a North Carolinian. A fellow North Carolinian. Is it North Carolinian or North Carolingian? I've always wondered. Only the French say Carolingian. <laughs> it's Cor- Carolingian. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, so, I've, yeah, so I've talked about her in the past. And one of the things I think is, um, maybe over the past 18 months, the left has become singularly unfunny about just what's happening in politics. Yeah. Like, they just, they can't, they, they're just way too much outrage and, like, shocked disbelief to actually be funny and I actually think that if you want to read people who are actually genuinely funny about certain things there are a couple of people I really like Susan uh, right and I uh, and I like how she writes because she's very very snarky she's very conservative so you yeah. don't necessarily want to read I think maybe to our audience she may not be everything they want but at some point she was working for Red State she was actually one of the uh, I think the more popular if not the most popular writer on Red State she got fired um, Red State got bought by somebody else. And yeah, they they, they they got purged. It's yeah. not clear why they got purged because there yeah. are Sarah Rumpf is still there who was critical of the president. So I'm not exactly sure what the what how the purging is. I think they also just got cheaper talent. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think Susan was one of the better paid or had one of the bigger clicks. Anyway, so she moved to a, a new 
uh, a new site called pa- uh, Patheos, I think. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's more religious. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will read. Uh, I will read actually one of the one of her like kind of snarkier um, tweets recently, or one of her snarkiest articles, because uh, I think she's just it's just just a fun writer to read. So she's talking about uh, Hannity's uh, relationship uh, with Trump, and so uh, this latest giving the side by side of President Trump's personal gimps, Sean Hannity is devastating. No, I don't expect Trump loyalists to see this and be moved. The stain of cultism is too deeply set in without a really solid, well-proven mental health program implemented to reverse the hold the hay-haired mountebank has over his subjects. <laughs> the woman can write. I really like her writing. It's very mountebank. <laughs> yeah, like I, I really like how she writes. Um, it's very snarky. It's very entertaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I would definitely check out. I would definitely check out Susan Wright. Well, uh, I guess that takes us to to the end of of the show. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Again, this has been episode 46 of Room of Requirement. Yeah, uh, and thanks to Kevin Carter for our intro and outro music. Take care, everyone. Yeah.